Hey everyone, welcome back to the Call Her Doctor podcast, a podcast for and about pursuing advanced degrees in STEM. I'm Natalie, I'm a PhD student in electrical engineering and the host of Call Her Doctor. Whether you're new here or have been listening for a while, welcome, and we are so glad that you are here listening. I'm bringing you another guest today. Hunter is a PhD student in pharmaceutical sciences who also did her undergraduate degree in engineering. You may know her from Instagram at ProfeshDogMom, and I'll have her info as well as her adorable dog's Instagrams linked in the show notes below. We talk all about switching fields, the advisor-advisee relationship, and advice for new grad students. So without further ado, let's jump into this convo with Hunter. All right, so I am here um, with Hunter, and Hunter, do you want to go ahead and kind of introduce yourself a little bit and give us some background, what you're studying now, um, what your degree is in, and all of that? Sure. So I have a background in biomedical engineering. I went to North Carolina State University, and I graduated, gosh, in 2017 now, and probably My sophomore or junior year is when I started to consider what I really wanted to do afterwards, whether that was immediately go into industry after graduation or pursue grad school. And at the time, I was just really enjoying the research that I was doing with one of my professors, and it kind of started to lead me down the path of grad school. So I Consider taking some time off between undergrad and grad school, but ultimately decided that I wasn't sure if I'd have the motivation to go back to grad school if I took any time off. So here we are. I started my program at UNC in pharmaceutical sciences in 2017, and now I'm set to graduate here in like less than 100 days. So it's pretty exciting. Awesome. So um, I know you're so close to graduation and stuff, but um, how did you decide to go from like biomedical engineering to pharmaceutical and how did you, you know, choose your university and what did that process look like to kind of pick like exactly what you wanted to do? Because I know that's kind of the biggest struggle when you're going through that whole grad school application process. Yes. So The research that I was doing with my PI in undergrad was very much a mixture of biomaterials, which is what my concentration was in undergrad, and pharmaceutical sciences. So I kind of was playing both fields at that moment in time. And the more I thought about it, I really liked the more intensive healthcare aspect. Granted, you do get that with biomedical engineering, but with the pharmaceuticals, I felt that it would set me better up to do something like clinical trials, which is what I've been interested in for a really long time. So after talking to my PI, some other faculty members and like older students that I knew who were also either in graduate school programs or a little bit ahead of me in that process as well, I kind of just started picking their brains and seeing what I liked, what I didn't like. Ultimately, I still ended up applying for a mixture of BME programs and more pharmaceutical sciences or general sciences programs. I kind of just wanted to pick schools and places that had professors that I was really interested in their research. So didn't focus as heavily on like the types of courses that I'll be taking. For me, it was definitely, would I be passionate about this project and enjoy it for the four to six years that I might be at that university. 
And was it like, I know when I started, I felt pretty prepared because I'd done my undergrad in electrical engineering and then was going into a grad program and kind of found that the niche I'm doing within my grad program, I didn't really have a ton of experience in. Were you like nervous about making that jump from what you'd studied in undergrad to this? Like, did you feel like you had the skills going in or were you pretty (laughs) nervous going into it? I was slightly nervous just because, I mean, for engineering, like I've taken how many different physics classes and every level of mathematics that you can possibly take. And then once I actually got into my program, it was probably within like the first week or two, it was like that deer in the headlights moment of like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? I don't know anything about anything because I had only taken one chemistry course in undergrad. I did like a college and high school thing. So I'd gotten all of my general chemistry out of the way, took organic chemistry my freshman year, and then I never touched it again. And then that first week in undergrad or grad school, they were like, okay, what's the chiral center of this molecule? And I'm like, hmm. Can anybody remind me what those words mean? Because I don't know. (laughs) It was very overwhelming. I felt really prepared in some aspects, like when we were talking about materials and how those relate to like how you design capsules for drugs. That I really understood because I had a strong background in that. But in a lot of other aspects, especially the chemistry, it was very much over my head and the molecular biology because we didn't do a lot of that as well. So it was a lot of finding people to help me fill those gaps. And for the most part, it was my peers because my grad school cohort was pretty diverse in terms of a mixture of chemists and other engineers and life scientists. So We all had our specialties and we're all feeling kind of overwhelmed when we were talking about certain aspects and topics. So we really had to work together to make sure we as a team were going to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like, did you feel comfortable reaching out to people or was that something that you kind of had to get over in the beginning? Like, did you try to learn it by yourself and found that you couldn't, or were you pretty comfortable reaching out to people? It. I really did try on my own because when I study, I typically do like to do it by myself. I get very easily distracted with other things going on. So I like to be, you know, at my desk by myself in silence. And the more I was trying to study that way, it just became me rewriting my notes a thousand times and it wasn't being a productive learning environment and I wasn't retaining what I was doing. So eventually my first year, I got together with two of the other women in my cohort and we ended up dividing the lectures and doing study guides for each of those lectures because we had class five days a week for two hours each day. And if you don't keep up with that, it it's going to get overwhelming very quickly. So we would rotate each day who was in charge of the lecture. And that person was like drinking their coffee and really going for the note taking while the other two were more so listening and taking notes on what was being said rather than what was uh, a part of like the slides. 
Okay. That's a really good, that's a good strategy. Yeah. We I had think this like really long word doc by the end of the semester, it was probably, oh, hundreds of pages long, mm-hmm. but <laughs> we made it <laughs> barely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think like, I know for me, and I'm sure you feel this too, like coming from an engineering background, there's so much push to like learn things on your own. And like, you have to be able to self-study and that's what engineering is, is like pursuing learning all of those things on your own. And I think, I know for me, I think that has kind of kept me from asking questions in the past is like, Oh, for sure. Be able to learn this on my own. And if I can't, that means that I'm like, you know, not smart enough or whatever that may be. Um, so that's been like a huge learning curve is just figuring out like when to ask the questions. And I think especially coming into a lab group and a research group that like does things a certain way, you have to ask questions because that's not something that you can learn from like a YouTube tutorial or something like that. Yeah. Because I mean, most of the time you're a lab group, maybe one of the only groups in the country or even the world that's doing that specific experiment or working with that technology. So the only people who understand it are the people sitting next to you at work. And if you don't understand it, Google isn't going to answer it for you. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, there's no tutorials on the tools and and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. So um, I guess I would love to know a little bit about kind of what your day-to-day looks like. Like I know for me, I've been working from home because a lot of our stuff is design, but I know you're going into the lab and you are kind of splitting your time that way. So what does that look like with class, lab, writing, all of those kinds of things? Yes. So thankfully I am done with my classes. So I have not had to juggle coursework and lab work and the work from home COVID situation. And for that, I'm extremely thankful. The first year students in programs everywhere, kudos to them because that is a lot to juggle and I commend them. But when the pandemic hit, pretty much from March to June, I was working from home 24 seven. And I was lucky that I was in a position where I didn't actually have to go into lab or worrying about, is this going to delay my graduation at all? I was right in that sweet spot where a lot of my experiments were done and I was at a writing stage. So I just used that time to do a lot of writing and get some of my publications out the door. Then first week of June is when the university opened back up for all of us with a lot of COVID guidelines in place. So we were doing a lot of shift work in the lab. Everything had to be scheduled on a calendar. You only went in to do the bare minimum of what you needed to do in lab. And then you left and did the rest of your work at home. We were very much encouraged like not to even sit at our desk to answer an email or anything, like just do bench work and leave. So as things have gotten a little bit better, so to speak. I don't know if it's actually better, but we're in a different position now. I was working on wrapping up my last few experiments. So I was probably going into lab about five hours a week. It truthfully doesn't take me that long to do a lot of my experiments. It's just going in for little bits of time throughout the course of the week to check on things. And then again, the rest of my time was just sitting, emails, meetings, and again, lots of writing. And now that my last experiment is done, a lot and a lot, a lot of writing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think people just have such a 
misconception. And I think it depends on the program, but they assume that you're just like always in the lab, always doing bench work, whether it's in a STEM field or engineering specifically. Um, and I know for us, the way it works is kind of a cycle. So like a couple months that you're in the design phase. And then once our stuff gets manufactured, then everybody's in the lab for a lot, you know, yes. testing, but that only lasts for a month, month and a half where they're really there, like tons of hours. Do you like, do you feel like you have kind of a good balance between working and, you know, free time and stuff like that? Or does it kind of ebb and flow? It definitely ebbs and flows. I think my second and third years in the program were my busiest, but I still really tried to set boundaries with myself and make sure that I am not working, you know, 12, 15 hour days and going in every weekend and never getting a break. And part of what makes that easier for me is I have my dogs. So I have to come home and feed them and take them on walks because they have needs too. So a lot of people say it's hard to have a dog in grad school because it's that extra level of responsibility. But for me, it's been extremely beneficial because it helps me maintain that work-life balance and remember to take breaks. Yeah. Yeah. And you also are on Instagram and your dogs are on <laughs> Instagram. <Yes>. <laughs> how do you like, I guess, what's your goal with that? And how do you like work that into kind of your, your days where you are, you know, working and doing a lot of your, your PhD work? So I started off with just my Instagram for Willis. And for the longest time, that was just it. I mean, I always joke that my dog has more friends and followers than I do because he, I, I am his momager. <laughs> but for him, it was mostly just to share cute pictures of my dog and who doesn't want to see cute, adorable puppies all the time. And then when the pandemic hit is when I actually started my professional dog mom account, more so as a means just to share what my last year of grad school was looking like, how I was managing my time, and honestly something to do during this work from home situation because there's only so much Netflix that one can watch. So <laughs> I've been using my Instagram account more so as a way as science communication, life with chronic illness, and just like a lifestyle blog in general. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned, um, and I know you've talked about this on your Instagram as well, but you received a diagnosis, I guess it was maybe a year ago or something like that. You can yeah. give me more information, but what is that kind of like, if you don't mind talking about it, um, managing that in grad school? And do you have anything that you wish universities did better to help people in that situation or suggestions for people who are in that situation? Um, times you've had to advocate for yourself and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting journey. I mean, I've had symptoms pretty much my entire life, but nobody was ever really able to give me a set diagnosis. So for the longest time, I was just dealing with it, not knowing why I was feeling great some days, crappy others, and just kind of in this weird limbo state. And then like you said, about a year ago, when I was at one of my regular checkups with my doctor, she had asked about it. And that's when I finally got connected to my cardiologists and neurologists and the rest of my care team that was actually able to sit down and give me 
my dysautonomia diagnosis and help me figure out some of my sleep issues. So while I was going through all of this diagnosis mm, craziness, I was also doing a lot of changes with my medications. It was probably at least once a week I was trialing new medications or a different dosage of the same medication. And it took me probably two to three months to finally get to a state where it's like, okay, I'm starting to feel normal and like myself again and actually have some relief from my symptoms. And during that time, I was definitely not as productive as I normally am. Meetings were hard to focus on because I was just so exhausted all the time. So I did end up having a conversation with my PI to just say, look, this is what I'm going through. I'm definitely going to need some time to just take a break. Don't expect above and beyond for me like I normally produce because I'm just not myself right now. And he was very understanding of that, for which I'm exceptionally grateful. But I know that's not the case for everybody. And it really does become the scenario where you have to advocate for yourself. And I had a good relationship with my boss where I felt comfortable doing that. But most universities, if not all, have really great resources for students who are in similar situations where if they can't talk to their boss directly, there are other people who can help start those conversations and be an advocate for you. So I've tried my best and through all of it, I think I'm finally at a good place now and happy that I haven't had to have too many tough conversations or deal with a lot of the extra added stress of dealing with a chronic illness. Yeah, yeah. That's good that you have a good relationship with your PI because I know a lot of people don't. And if you don't, I mean, that kind of like makes or breaks your experience. Exactly. It can be incredibly tough. Yeah. Did you, like when you were choosing grad programs and stuff, I know you said that you looked at the research, but was the advisor and their advising style and stuff something that you considered? Um, And if so, I guess like what were you looking for and how did you figure out if your PI was going to meet that that advising style that you were looking for? It's so funny you ask this because I'm pretty sure if you look back at my like personal statements on all of my applications, especially for the program that I'm in now, the PIs that I said I wanted to work with are not at all who I ended up doing rotations with or working with just because after I got into the program and started talking to other students, I realized that their mentorship style was not going to be a good match for me and I didn't want to do one of my rotations with them. I really wanted a mentor who respected my time and my need for work-life balance, but also supported my career goals. So I'm sure you've heard everybody of like the industry versus academia. What do you want to do with your life post-graduation? And I'm very much interested in industry and I've had no desire to go into academia and become a faculty member. So finding a PI who would support me potentially taking time off if I wanted to do an internship was really important to me. And during the interview process, I had a few professors say, that's not really something I let my students do. And I'm like, I appreciate the honesty, but 
that's something that's really important to me. So that was an easy way to check that off the list and say that's probably not going to be a good fit. In terms of like day-to-day mentorship style, I really wanted somebody who was more hands-off. I like to think that my engineering background really prepared me to do well with project management, time management, organization. Like I have it down to a science now. I don't need someone to do it for me. So I wanted someone who would be there to answer my scientific questions or help with experimental design if I needed it. But other than that, I felt pretty prepared to go and do the science on my own and present data when I had it. And there was a few professors that I had found that kind of met those criteria for me. But ultimately, I'm really glad that I selected the mentor that I have now because it turned out to be a really great fit. And we've continued to have a good relationship over the past four years. Good, good. Yeah, I know that's when I was looking at universities, um, I was in an undergrad program at the time where every month or so we would have discussions about like grad school and how does funding work and just kind of those general things. Um, And in one of the meetings they asked, you know, do you want an advisor who's hands-on or hands-off? And I, as an undergrad, had two very distinct experiences, one with an advisor who was so hands-off that like we couldn't get anything done um, because he was not invested in the project, I think. Mm -hmm. And then another advisor who was so hands-on that we would make decisions about supplies we needed to order and things like that. And uh, he would then go in and change what, you know, whatever we had decided. (laughs) So I had kind of the two extremes. I "I want something in the middle. I don't know what to call that. Um, But I think you brought up the point of like talking to other students. And that was actually my, the top advisor that I wanted to work with um, was at University of Florida. I'd seen her speak at a conference. She was doing this incredible research. um, And I talked to her students while she wasn't in the room and they were like, she's really great. Her research is great, but she's so new that she doesn't really know how to be like a a mentor and help you build up some of those skills. And for some people who just want to be there for the research, that's fine. But I knew that I wanted more of that, like mentoring and professional development and making sure that I was prepared for industry and things like that. And that, I mean, I ended up going to a completely different university just based on what the students said. And I think that that's so, so important because, yeah, that, you know, if you can get the students to talk to you without the advisor in the room, like... (laughs) So funny you say that because when I joined my PI's group at that time, he had only graduated one student and the most senior student in our group when I had joined was about a year and a half away from graduation. So he's still very much considered a new faculty member, even though he's been there a while, but based off of the number of students that he's graduated, different story. So when I joined and when I look at him now, like his mentorship style has changed dramatically in a good way. Like I think he started to find his groove and all of that and is much more receptive of the needs and how that changes on a student to student basis. Like if someone needs a little bit more help with their experimental design or they need more help with the career development, like he has gotten much better about tailoring that to each of us. and it's kind of nice to see that growth in a faculty member. It's encouraging. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think it's like you're never going to go into somebody who knows exactly what you need and knows how you learn and knows which areas you need help in. Um, and I know for me, there have been times where I've had to ask for extra help because my advisor assumed, you know, that I had it and I did not, not have yep. it. And so <laughs> you have to go in and ask um, for those things. And I think, you know, I see him work with our more senior students who are maybe going into their fifth year or something. Um, and he recognizes their patterns of behavior. He knows what they need, you know, like he knows kind of where to, where to poke and where not to poke and those kinds (laughs) of things. Um, And so it is cool to see kind of as you, you know, I think it's rare to have sort of a mentoring relationship like that. Like to get that as an undergrad, I think you really have to seek it out. And it's cool that that can kind of be built into the graduate experience. Definitely. Definitely. How many so how many students are in your lab, like group currently? So right now we have six grad students, all at varying stages. So three of us are about to graduate pretty much this year. One will probably be about a year or two behind. And then we just had two women join our group officially on Monday which is exciting. And then we have two staff scientists and two postdocs. So it's like 10 people right now. And pre-COVID, we also had about five to six undergrads working with us at a given time. So we're a larger group. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, we, I think we've had some changes in the last year, but I think we're 13 or 14, which is that's, I think, larger and your group too is larger than a lot, but that's kind of yeah. nice, especially um, having other women in your lab group. I know when I came in, I was one of three students coming in at the same time and there was another woman coming in mm-hmm. at the same time as me. Um, and just like, it's just so nice, like four out of the 13 of us, 13 of us yep. are female. And it's just, there's a little bit of that like built in community I think you know exactly just because you're women you're instantly going to become friends but there's a little bit of that like you can assume you've had some similar experiences and stuff like that and yeah I think that's been (laughs) really nice it's definitely nice having that like one of the women who was in my cohort with me we just we clicked immediately and she's been awesome she is an MD PhD student so she was able to help me do a lot of that studying I talked about earlier and get me up to speed on some of the things I wasn't as familiar with because she also had a chemistry undergraduate degree and we're roommates now and we work together so we see each other 24 7 but it's great yeah yeah that's awesome was that something you looked for like when you looked at lab groups in universities what do you mean specifically so for instance I made sure that there were like female faculty in the engineering department and things like that. Um, And looking at like lab group photos and stuff, made sure that they had had female students before. (laughs) Is that something you looked for? Absolutely. I think it was one of the most important things for me because I wanted to see that they were promoting diversity within their groups and it was an active area of focus for them. I didn't want to be the only woman in the room like it's not an easy thing to do and I've been there Mm -hmm. before in my classes so I was looking at faculty and 
actually at the time, and we're still going through this process of hiring new faculty. So we just had a new woman join our department, which has been awesome. And she brought a really great diverse group with her as well. So it's nice to see that they are trying, but as always, there's room for improvement. Yeah. Do you like, do you feel like you have had any issues where you, you know, have been either the only one or in the minority um, in the room or in your lab group where that's been an issue? Or do you feel like for the most part, that's not really been something that's like affected your, your grad student experience? There have definitely been some moments where I felt that I wasn't being heard as the person in the room with the expertise, whether that's because I was a newer student or I was a woman, can't really say for sure. But there have been times where I've asked other men in my group to kind of back me up on things like this is an idea that I have. You've agreed with me. You've shown interest in what ideas I have. And that's kind of the sad reality of it. Whereas if I don't have someone who is a male supporting me, I might not be heard. And yeah, some days I don't have any issues and it's perfectly fine. And I don't feel those stressors and other days it's like, it really weighs on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you brought up a good point about not knowing if it's like, because you're the new person or if there's really an issue because you are in the the minority in that ish, in that instance. Cause I know for me, like there are definitely times where I hesitated to ask questions and things like that because like I was the new student and I had to kind of question like exactly. the new student or is because the only like I'm the only girl in this project team. Like what is it that's kind of keeping me from from asking those those questions. So I think that's a, a good point. And I know my advisor too has sometimes been the backup. Like I was really having trouble getting help from someone at one point and he was like, tell him that I said so. Like if you have any issues at this point, like tell him I said so. So yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I guess um, kind of to wrap up is overall, do you feel like grad school is what you were expecting? Was there anything that you, that was holding you back from applying to grad school or that really encouraged you to apply to grad school that you feel like wasn't actually true when you got there or anything like that? For the most part, it's what I expected. I mean, the cliches and rumors that you hear sometimes are true. (laughs) You do work a lot. I mean, I do try to have that work-life balance, but there are some days where I just, I have to go in on Saturday because it's an important experiment that needs to get done. But in terms of applying for grad school, I had a really good support system in undergrad, both with my university faculty, friends, family. So I felt pretty encouraged to apply. And when I got here, I think it took me a while to feel comfortable and develop that support system. But once I did, it was a much more enjoyable experience. And as I continue to go through this process, I'm learning and trying to pass on the best advice I can to the incoming students of our group to make their lives easier and help them navigate the waters. That's awesome. 
And then what's one like work from home tip or hack that you've discovered to help you kind of stay motivated? I know you talked about this today on, on Instagram, having trouble staying motivated now that you're just yes. in that writing phase. What are like some tricks or things you do to just kind of help you stay in the zone? So my best work pre-COVID came when I was able to go to a coffee shop for a day and just sit and write. There was just enough background noise and there was a steady supply of coffee and snacks. Like it was a great place to be. (laughs) And now I don't have that. So what my friends and I have been doing is doing virtual Zoom work from home parties We'll set each other up and then we have like some coffee shop music ambiance and I'll make myself something to drink and a small snack and try my best to mimic that coffee shop environment as I can. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) It usually works, but other days like today, I'm just not feeling it and it's still a struggle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. That's we've done some like co-working sessions with some people in our lab and it's it's so nice to just have some kind of accountability for getting up and working the accountability and like easy access if you have a question for somebody and they know it's because normally you're sitting right beside each other in a cubicle or in the lab space and you can just turn your head and talk to somebody whereas now I have to wait for them to answer an email (laughs) yeah I know that's kind of something I've been struggling with especially being newer because I've I was less than a year into my program when we started working from home Um, and going from that, like being able to turn around and be like, Hey, how do you set that thing up again? You know, like using whatever the tools were. And now sometimes it's like, you have to wait hours for a reply. And so we've been trying to figure out like, how do we stay connected and up to date on what everybody's doing? So we have multiple different ongoing projects in our group. And that's been tricky to stay like connected and up to date and, I feel like the rate of learning kind of slows down when you can't just turn around and ask someone a question. Yeah, training new students has been hard for us. Yeah, and I can't imagine like having bench work because we don't really have much of that and people were able to take equipment home and stuff, but I can't imagine that. I wish. Actual (laughs) bench work. (laughs) Yeah, I think they'd look Mm -hmm. at us like we're crazy if we asked to take our cells and chemicals home. Yeah. What What are you doing? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Awesome. So I guess my last question is, um, what advice would you give a new grad student? And then what advice would you give an undergrad who's looking to go into grad school? So for an undergrad who's looking to go into grad school, I would say take the time to do informative interviews with students who are in programs similar to what you'd be interested in applying to and see what their day-to-day life looks like, and if that's something that interests you. Ask them the good, the bad, the ugly questions so you have a really good understanding of what grad school looks like. Because everybody says, you know, don't just go to grad school to delay getting a job. You should be going to grad school because it is what you want to do, and it will help you advance to your long-term career goals. In terms of advice for new grad students, lean heavily on the current grad students. They've been through the classes, they know the faculty members, they know about the resources on campus, whether that's something you need 
for mental health or you need access to a core facility or a specific piece of equipment, they most likely know anything about that. And if they don't know, they can probably lead you to the person who does. And more often than not, if they're like me, they don't want you to struggle with the same things that they had to struggle through. And they're going to be more than happy to help you. Awesome. Yeah, I fully stand by both of those (laughs) recommendations. So I lied. I have one more question for you, actually. So what's what's next for you? You graduate pretty soon. What's do you have a job lined up? I you don't if you don't have anything prepared, that's cool too. I am in the interview process right now. It's still a little bit early since my degree won't officially be conferred until May 16th. So Pretty much starting next month is when I'll be really heavy hitting on the job and interview search. But leaning towards industry, hoping to secure a job in clinical product development and clinical trial design. Awesome. That's so exciting. And congratulations on being so close to you. That's awesome. Well, um, I guess, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you and your dogs on Instagram? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So my Instagram handle is Profesh Dog Mom, and my dogs are Willis and Pilot, and they each have their own Instagram account as well. So it is Willis underscore doodle and Pilot underscore doodle. Awesome. And I can link all of that in the, the show notes for the podcast as well. Great. So, well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat and congratulations again on being so close to being done with your degree. That's just so exciting. And it's just so nice to have other people on Instagram, like you sharing your story and talking about grad school and kind of getting rid of some of those, you know, stereotypes around grad school and all of that. So just thank you again so much for your time. And um, yeah, I'll be sure to link everything where people can find you in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. It was great chatting with you. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Call Her Doctor podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at callherdoctor.podcast, where we share more tips and tricks and answer questions. For more information, be sure to check out our personal blogs at themjdiaries.com and sheengineered.com. You can find the links in the show notes. We would also love it if you would head to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review so we can get this podcast out there to more people and continue to grow the Call Her Doctor podcast community.